Hey everyone, this is Dorinda Wilson. Welcome to this week's podcast. If you don't know me already, I'm married to Daryl. We've been married for 28 years. We have eight kids, ages 13 to 27. We have four grandkids and we have been homeschooling for 22 years. Um, Last weekend, I had the privilege of sharing my heart with a group of moms in Massachusetts. And can I just say, homeschool moms are my Mm. absolute favorite people on the planet. (laughs) (laughs) They are just so amazing in uh, just the way that they care for their kids. And you all just, I'm always inspired whenever I'm I'm together with other homeschool moms. So you just need to know that today. I also wanted to let you know that I'm going to be at Teach Them Diligently in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, uh, May 17th to the 19th. And I would love to see you there. I'd also love it if you would email me with some topic ideas or questions for future podcasts. I'm hoping to do a Q&A podcast every several weeks so that I can talk about the things that are on your heart. It's really the spirit of Titus 2, you know, where God has this really great idea of having the older women speak into the lives of the younger women. What a great concept. <laughs> and, you know, Last week, I talked with one of my favorite Titus II women, Cheryl Bastian, about homeschooling middle and high schoolers. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to reintroduce her today because she's back with me today. And I'm excited because she's going to be talking about uh, creating transcripts for our high schoolers, which can feel like a daunting task, but I have a feeling you all are going to feel a whole lot better when we're done with this podcast. So Cheryl cannot remember a time when she wasn't teaching. What started with making her brothers play school evolved to job shadowing and tutoring in high school, and that turned into majoring in early childhood education, and eventually 20 years, 24 years of homeschooling, eight kids, ages 28 to almost three. (laughs) Cheryl and her husband, Mike, journey alongside families at many stages of parenting and learning from toddling. To turning tassels. As a magazine columnist, blogger, and speaker, she enthusiastically encourages parents to be intentional, real, and relational as they aspire to raise lifelong learners. Thank you, Cheryl, for being here today. I'm so happy you're here. Yay. So, oh, you're so welcome. We had so much fun last week, didn't we? We not? did. We did. It was great. I, I love um, sort of the, the conversations that go on, particularly mm-hmm. with older moms, because um, we've been through a lot. And so just to have that camaraderie of, yeah, I found this was true. And, you know, we thought this part was so complicated and really, you know, God made it uh, simple for us. And these are the kinds of things that we want to share and bless um, homeschooling moms who are maybe not quite as far uh, down the road in this journey. So Cheryl, um, I think I already shared with you (laughs) that when I think about explaining transcripts or understanding it fully, I I, I feel like my head's going to explode and I have a feeling (laughs) there are other moms who feel the same way. And that's why I had you on here. It wasn't for everybody else. It was for me too. (laughs) Funny. (laughs) So I would love for you to just kind of launch into um, all that you have to share. Hmm. Well, thank you. But I I do want to remind moms from the get-go, just to breathe. Um, Fear can steal our joy. And that is so true in the high school years. But I feel like there's some things I've learned along the way um, that I hope, as we share today, will dispel some of that fear. We'll let it go so that we can truly enjoy the high school years like we talked about last week. Celebrate the high school years for what they are. And that is the 
just the discovery and the wonder of this developing high schooler, the heart of this high schooler, the person that God has woven together. And high school then kind of comes, the classes, the courses, all that stuff that gives us the fear kind of comes alongside that. And I didn't always see it that way. Trust me, when I started high school, um, actually, I started researching homeschooling through high school probably about 17, 20 years ago, because I wanted to make sure I was going to do it right, right? Right, right, of course. (laughs) (laughs) And so I learned a lot along the way, but now after having um, three graduates, I have a current junior and I have actually an eighth grader who's doing high school work. Um, I just, I fall more in love with it every day. Does that mean it's easy? Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. It's every season of motherhood has got its difficulties. And that's what I want to, encourage moms with yes we can we can gain the knowledge we need but it's it doesn't mean it's going to make it any easier um because we're talking about people we're talking about people who are trying to figure out who they are as we talked about last time and Mm -hmm. so today we're going to kind of move into okay so we're discovering who they are they're discovering their interests how does that all work when you're talking about high school and having to build a transcript and having to maybe have them ready for college or have them ready for an employer or gosh, what does all that look like? Cause you know, we talked about in some ways all that fluff last week, all the good right. stuff, not right. with our kids, but how does that really, when the rubber beats the road kind of a thing, how's that all right. pan out? Right. Exactly. Yeah. I want to uh, stop you for just a second sure. because I just want to, I, I want to put a little light on something you just sort of mentioned um, you know, as part of this, what of this introduction that you just gave, and and you talked about um, focusing on the things that are actually really important in mm-hmm. the high school years, and I think we can get so fearful and bound up that we miss the fun of this particular age. Like the adventure that we have with these kids as they're sort of navigating, trying different things out and, you know, how did that work? And did you like it? What did you like about it? You know, because we're so uh, afraid that we're not going to check all the boxes. So I just wanted, I just love what you said about that because it, it really gives this picture of discipleship that yep. continues through the high school years. Yes, it looks different, but it's such a, it's in, in so many ways, it's so much fun because you see them just starting to blossom. You and see the, real people coming. It's people, they're people, they're, they're developing, they're coming out. It's a beautiful thing. It is. And there's, and they start to get excited. You know, I think if we're navigating this, um, you know, alongside of them in that sort of discipleship way. Um, do, would you say that it kind of maybe looks a little bit uh, more like coaching something oh, along those lines? Yeah. Absolutely. Mike okay. and I do a workshop that, that I've actually titled Controlling to Coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, actually, the older we get and the more kids that we see moving into adulthood, uh, the more we realize we have to start coaching a whole lot earlier than we really think we do. It's so true. It's it's mm-hmm. developing, um, encouraging that ownership. Is that kind yeah. of what you're saying? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because they have to own it. And mm-hmm. when they do own it and they kind of, my, my husband says, put themselves in the educational driver's seat. Um, boy, I'll tell you, amazing things have happened way, way, way better than anything I could have ever planned. In fact, right. st- it makes the stuff 
that I would have planned looked really puny and re- ridiculous, actually. Like, <laughs> it's so that. true. I love that picture of driving a car, though. Think about that. If you're, if you're driving a car and, um, say, mom's driving and, and the, the, the child is the passenger, you know, obviously they're too young to drive, so we're driving, right? And then we start to show them, um, we're showing them this is what it looks like. And then maybe we, then they start to get the permit thing where they get to drive with us alongside of them or, or they actually, before that, they would get the, the, the instruction from the book and then they would go into actually trying it out. And then pretty soon they're capable of driving that whole thing on their own. Yes. And it comes, I think, a whole lot quicker than we as parents, I agree. at least for us, mm-hmm. um, a whole lot quicker and earlier than we ever thought that it would. And I'm so mm-hmm. thankful for that because then we get to walk with them through some really important decisions mm-hmm. um, and be able to kind of coach them, like you said, and say, okay, that didn't work. What can we do the next time? Or right. what did you learn from that? Or that's all life. That's emotional intelligence. And a lot of um, kids today, high schoolers, even including homeschooled high schoolers, they don't have that emotional intelligence that they're going to need um, when they go out because mom and dad are still controlling a whole lot of what's going on in their lives. Right. That doesn't mean willy-nilly let them go. I'm not saying that at all. There's mm-hmm. responsibility, right, with freedom, <laughs> just as right. much as we have responsibility with the freedom that we have. But they can learn that at a much early age, at least that we've discovered in our own family than we ever gave them to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's great. So in that, in researching, you know, I said, okay, so if we're going to do this high school thing, we're going to do it right. <laughs> I laugh now because my right then was a lot different than my right now. Um, but I wanted to make sure that my kids were going to be ready. What is it going to look like? What are the colleges going to want? What are the employers going to look for? And I also didn't want to shortchange them because often you hear this, oh, well, my kid's not ever going to college or, oh, my child definitely wants to be an auto mechanic or my kid definitely wants to run an engineering firm. And then they get six months from graduation and you're like, okay, we don't have enough time for plan B. So I said, okay, we sat down and we decided what is going to be the minimum of what we're going to shoot for in our home so that... God could do anything and open any doors for you and you're going to be ready to do that. And we're not all going to be blindsided because, you know, when you're blindsided, then the tension and the stress kick in and then you're like, okay, now we're going to do. And and then you're forced maybe to make some decisions that you wouldn't necessarily have made. Mm. So what I found in researching colleges is that colleges are all pretty much looking for four years of English. So that's one for every year, (laughs) pretty much. And that includes the vocabulary, the composition, the literature components. And when I say literature, that means different genres, a variety of genres. Your kids need to be able to, you know, read and, and interpret and analyze poetry and different types of writing, persuasive, expository narrative. And when they get even older into the senior year, if they're going into like a research science or something like that, even professional journal articles, because that's what they're going to have to do in college. Um, and, and also in that is, is taking on different genres of different origins. So that would be American literature, British literature, world literature. Now, again, you know, I hear in the homeschooling circles, well, none of that is really required. That is true. Like we, we have, at least according, you have to figure out what your state statutes are, but in my state, you know, we're the overseer of our child's education. And so that means we get to decide 
We decide the graduation requirements. We decide what goes into American literature, world literature, British literature, what our kids are going to read. There's a lot of freedom in that. There's also a lot of responsibility. So these are the things I realize as I share them, people are be like, well, we don't need to do that. You're right. You don't. Um, because that's part of their freedom of being a homeschooling parent. But these are the things that I found as that prepared my kids and others. Because when I say my kids, you know, Mike and I have been home, doing homeschool evaluations for 23 years. And we've walked with a lot of families from kindergarten through high school. Kids who've gone on to military academies. Kids who've taken on their own businesses. Kids who've um, just gone on to, you know, like a state college. So we have a lot of varied experience from a lot of different, from you know, state college all the way up to highly selective and military. And so this is kind of the system that we've put together that we realized, okay, from here, we can launch to whatever that might be that God calls our kids to you know, late in their junior, senior year. So for English, and then we do for math, ideally. Um, that doesn't mean that our kids have all taken that path, um, but that's our, that's our end goal. And they've taken it differently. So we look at, we basically colleges want algebra one and above. They don't always count the business math and the consumer math anymore as a, a high school level math that might be an elective. And for one of ours who was an entrepreneur, we definitely did business math because um, there's so much to be learned in that between the taxes and filing for a, you know, a DBA and a and all of the, um, you know, registering your business with the state and all of that kind of thing. So we shoot for Algebra 1, Geometry, and Algebra 2. Now, again, and then whatever comes beyond that, whether it be a dual enrollment class, which we did with one, or a calculus or a trigonometry, that kind of thing, or not. Again, we're homeschooling parents, but at least with this path, it gives us some flexibility to move once our kids decide what they might really want to do. Then we look at um, social studies, and that would be anything like American history, world history, American government, economics, psychology, sociology, and philosophy. I mean, you can go, the social sciences are so, um, they just go so deep. And as homeschoolers, we have all that at, to our, you know, at our, at, at our access. The, there's no, like I said the last time, the world is our classroom, and we don't have a ceiling to learning. So if our kids are interested in a specific social science, why not delve into it? Um, so we, that, those are the things we shoot for is the American history, the world history, the American government, and the economics. And we're finding that colleges, if they are specific, and many colleges are getting to the point where they're not specific anymore as far as the particular course you have to take. They'll just say three social, social studies. Um, but some do, still are. And so... You know, I tell parents, if you know that your kid's going to go to XYZ college, then just go look at their requirements and figure out, do they need a specific history? Do they need a specific math? And then you can kind of plan from there. Um, and then you have this, this between states. You know, I used to think credits and were, were um, standard across the 50 states, and that's not true. So in some states, economics is a half credit. In some states, it's a whole credit. And the same thing with American government. In our state, it's an half a credit, but because we're homeschooling families and we have the freedom, American government for us was always a credit. Um, because our kids do team pack and they're just involved in different hands-on government um, activities and opportunities, that folds right into that. Um, then we move on to science. And those for us are kind of a three credit. We make sure that we have at least two labs because some colleges say three science and two of them must have a lab component. Now, what constitutes a lab component is pretty broad. 
Um, and so again, that that's up to us as homeschooling parents. What is that going to look like? Some parents are like 10 dissections. That's what we're doing. And some parents are like one dissection and a formal lab report. That's totally up to us. The only college that I found that is pretty um, strict about what they require of homeschoolers science preparation is Arizona State. Arizona State has a homeschool lab report that you have to fill out. Um, so they'd be a little bit more specific, but mm-hmm. most don't have requirements. So we aim for like the biology, the chemistry, and then it goes on from there, depending on where our kids might be going. Some of them have done physics, some have done anatomy and physiology. Um, again, that's one of those things you're going to want to look at at a particular college as your kid gets a little bit down the road in high school and they say, I want to go to Purdue or I want to go to Mercer or I want to go to you know, Arizona State for that matter, then you can look at that those particular college requirements and say, okay, I can move from this basic piece, this guideline, and then morph into what those colleges need as we get closer to graduation. So three science, two of the lab. Then the foreign language, we personally have chosen for our children to all take two consecutive years of foreign language because that's pretty much the average minimum that I've found. Um, a few colleges want a year, um, and, and William and Mary wants four years of consecutive foreign language. So, wow. And that's, that's the way out there. But, you know, if your child wants to go to William and Mary, then you need to, you know, say, okay, uh, that's where we want to go. And if your child wants to go there, they will be motivated to get those four years of foreign language. Um, we as a family, you know, I kind of was looking at, okay, these electives, you got your performing arts, your fine arts, your physical education, and all of those various sundry electives. What is that going to look like for our family? I try to get them at least like a half a credit in some kind of business, half a credit in some kind of fine arts or the arts, whether that be music, performing arts, um, sculpture, whatever that looks like. And then um, also a half a credit of some kind of physical education, which we call personal fitness at our home or nutrition and wellness, something like that. Mm-hmm. It, it just it just gives us some direction as far as those electives. Again, do you have to do that? No. I mean, that's the beauty of homeschooling. But those are the things that I found as I researched colleges. Those are kind of some of the things that they pulled out and said, we want this. And of course, then there's those, the colleges that are kind of outside the box. If you're going to Wheaton to composition school, you're going to have to have a music composition that you've written. And if you're going to be a creative, an artist of, of any kind, most of those colleges are going to want an art portfolio. So those are all things you can find out down the road. But if you go with the basic four English, four math, three social studies or social sciences, three natural sciences, and two with a lab, and the foreign language, that gives you a pretty good bare bones place that you can move off of based on where your kids are going to go and what their major might be. Right, right. That's good. It's nice to hear that sort of in a nutshell. And then it's sort of a jumping off place. Kind of this is a main framework. And then we can go and look at what, you know, if there's a particular college in mind to um, address that or in our state, what are the, what are the requirements? Right. Right, because in our state doesn't have graduation requirements. There might be some states out there that do. And so okay. if you would want to make yourself familiar with that. So generally speaking, a state doesn't have a requirement. It would just be district by district that they're, if they're graduating from that local high school. 
No, it's usually a state. Like if our our statute is for home education okay. across the whole state, doesn't matter what county gotcha. we're up with. It's whether or not we have to meet the you know our state's graduation requirements, which in our state we do not. Um, but there are okay. some states that have you know that's going to be different, and I I can't even be. Right. Yeah, sure. Really I know all fifty states because yeah, that's research that yeah, parents can 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 Absolutely. figure that out. So yeah, that's great. That is great. And then all of that fleshes out. You're like, okay, well then, what about this transcript thing that people are, you know, they're truly terrified of transcripts. And honestly, it's a document. I mean, at its bare bones, it's a snapshot of your child's academic record. Um, and I think of a snapshot being a snapshot. It's not the whole thing. It's not all the community service hours. It's not all the awards they had or had gotten accolades for. It's a snapshot of their academic record. And, and again, there's not a given format that we have to use, but there are some things that colleges are going to want to have on that document because, again, we're not bound to that. But, but if we speak their language, they're going to be a lot more eager to look at what we give them. Right. And that's basically, you know, we've got this freedom in homeschooling to do amazing things. How do we take those amazing things and put that on in a language on a piece of paper that they're going to be familiar with? Right, um, right. I call it education ease. Yes. <laughs> that is exactly <laughs> right. So one of the first things that, you know, there's not a whole, there are lots of, and I've got samples on my website. They're in my book. There are samples on uh, on some college websites, they'll even give homeschoolers, this is what a sample transcript would look like. Um, but there are some key components that they're going to look for. And one of those is credits. So basically, when I went to back, you know, 17, 20 years ago, I started researching this whole high school thing. I, re- I found out something that shocked me. As an education major, I thought that every state for one credit had the same or required the same number of instructional hours. And that is wrong. Some states will say, okay, one credit is worth 120 hours. Another state will say, no, it's 180, all the way up to actually 200, which is huge. That's a lot of hours. Um, So I said, okay, so what are we to do? And again, I went back to my state statute and I said, okay, what does my state require of me? Well, because I'm the parent of of the, I'm the overseer of the child's education as the parent, I don't, that's not, that's not a mandate I have in my state. Now, my state as a whole requires 135 hours of instructional or, or work to be, that's what they, they count as a credit. So just knowing that gave me, oh, okay, that's a measuring stick that I have so that when I'm like, okay, I have no idea how many hours my kids should even be spending or, you know, on this American government class he's mm-hmm. putting together. Um, and I really didn't think it was a big deal. And I hear homeschoolers say, oh, you know, you're not bound to any hours. That's probably true according to your statute. But I will tell you, when my, when my son applied to a highly selective college, I had to actually write an essay on how we came up with our grades and credits. And they wanted to know that. So from then I decided, okay, I need to at least know what our standard is. Um, and then I can go from there based on, you know, this child and the course and the content and all that kind of stuff. Right. And the other thing I think it does, because we're wanting our high schoolers to fully really own what they're doing, it gives them a standard that's, yeah. that is outside of us, outside of mom. It's saying, well, we're saying, well, in this state, this is what a, a credit, this is, this is how you're going to earn a credit. It's, it's got to be this many hours. So, um, 
almost a little accountability somewhere else, which I think is good. It's fantastic. And and it gives them, like you said, a guideline to know, okay, I've achieved, I think I've achieved that. Now, some parents are like, you actually count the hours. We've done it in different ways for different kids. Um, we, you know, and after four or five now, high schoolers, like I really know what I, 120 hours. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. You know, if they've put in the time and yeah, I totally hear what you're saying. But basically what it boils down to for moms who this is a new, you know, a new language for them, Mm -hmm. that how they come up with that 120 or 135 hours is based on the number of weeks kids are in school, the number of days that that class meets and the number of minutes that class meets. So if a class meets for 32 weeks, five, time, five times a week, and meets for 45 minutes, you're going to get a number, and it's close to 120 hours. That number helps me understand, okay, so if my student is spending an hour each day on algebra, because algebra one is considered a one credit course almost across the board, actually, in the United States, um, for those who still use credits, they're actually moving now to quarter to different things. And I don't want to get into that on this podcast, but for what we're talking about, <laughs> the basics for most of the states, um, they, it, that gives me a jumping off point. So whether he spends an hour every day on algebra or whether he spends five hours on one day, he still achieved those hours for the right. week. Right. Exactly. That, that makes perfect sense. Absolutely. And so as a mom, I'm like, oh, okay, that helps me relax a little bit because you know, yes, we want them to own this high school thing. Um, At least I want them to. I'm tired of, you know, I don't like going around to my kids and say, okay, did you spend an hour on American government today? Did you spend an hour on, you know, I don't have that kind of mental space in all of the other kids that I'm teaching. And that needs to be their ownership. Um, But I can know by a visual, you know, I know what they're doing during the day. And so I know, okay, if they spent five hours, you know, they've done it. Um, and so that's why kids call what I call immersion. When they immerse themselves into a study, they might spend eight hours a day on a topic for four solid weeks. Mm-hmm. That's probably a credit. Right. You know, they've totally immersed themselves in whatever topic that was. And that's the beauty of homeschooling. And you can still give them credit. That's right. That's right. I think that's awesome because sometimes, especially if they're exploring an interest, um, it just gives us so much freedom and flexibility to allow them to do that and not um, freak out about it, you know? And this is the time we want them exploring, you know, to that degree because, well, actually we like that anytime, but especially in high school, we're wanting them, we're kind of you know, shooting for honing in on um, particular interests and passions and things like that. And, and so it's so such a blessing to be able to do that with our, with our high schoolers. Yeah. Well, and it's what they, I was actually meeting with a mom, with a mom not too long ago, and she was sharing some thoughts about her. She had just embarked on their first year of, of high school and we talked a little bit and then she said this key thing and I actually stopped her. I said, wait a minute. I repeated what she said. I said, listen to what you just said. She said, my daughter came to me and said, I'm not real sure I like high school. And the mom said, well, well, why not? And she says, I just wish we could go back to homeschooling. And the mom's like, okay, we haven't left the house. We're still homeschooling. She's like, no, mom, like we used to take field trips and we used to do hands-on and I used to talk to people and I used to, and now it's all this paperwork and the stress and Mm. that's not homeschooling. And I went, oh my goodness, that's, that is so profound. That's what we want them to just keep learning and take our and know enough about 
the paperwork we're going to have to put together so that we can say, yes, you keep on learning and I'll figure out how to document it and credit. I love that. I love that. That's such a, that's a great picture right there. Just that, you know, you just keep learning, you keep moving forward and I'll, you know, make sure that this gets counted, you know? Yep. And I say that to my kids all the time. If you're, you know, I see you, you just brought five books from the library, you know, home from the library this week and you're done with all of them. Uh-huh. And you wouldn't believe what I learned. And then we have a conversation. Mm. Okay. So look at all the hours we just spent immersing ourselves into an interest. We did reading comprehension because we talked about it. Like, right. and, I, and I learned too, because I'm not, I don't, I wasn't interested in checking out those books, but I learned and I was interested, engaged in them. And I was like, I can, I can shed light on their interests. I can shed light on, did you hear what you just said? Like, I could see your face light up. That's your passion. And they're like, it is? Yes. <laughs> That's about to discover. I love that. I love that. It's, it's just being engaged and aware and a kind of a student of our kids. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which is what we talked about last week. So, mm-hmm. you know, I might have to go back and listen to that myself every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> So the other component, you need the, you need the credits on your transcript because they want to know that. They also want to know the grades. And of course, this, this causes homeschool moms a whole lot of misery <laughs> a lot of times because it's what helps, it, what's, it's what puts them back into those boxes. Well, if my child just read five books from the library, how in the world am I going to grade that? <laughs> right. So what I've done, and I outlined it in my book, but I'm going to give you a little bit of a, your, your listeners an overview here real quickly, because I think if we sort out the type of work that our kids are doing, and then we match it with an appropriate grading system, it works out a whole lot better. And instead of taking this 90 to 100 grading thing that we all have in our head and trying to make that fit with what our kids are doing, it'll never work that way. So first of all, we have these, the traditional work that we grade. It's the traditional objective work, kind of like your math problems. The problems are either right or they're wrong. Like <laughs> there's no leeway. You either got it right and then we figured out the percentage and we give you a grade. That's kind of what we're all used to. Mm-hmm. Then we have the traditional subjective work. Now that we're used to too, because that's like writing papers. So there's a little bit of opinion maybe that gets muddied into that grade. There's a little bit of, you know, maybe the neatness that gets into that grade. And we're not so sure, well, do do they have to get three commas wrong for a B? You know, if they get a flawless paper, is that an A? So what I do is I create a rubric for my kids when I'm grading their writing. And a rubric just sets out for them ahead of time, this is what you're going to need to, you know, this is kind of what I want, I'm looking for in the organization of your paper. This is what I'm looking for in the mechanics of your paper. This is what we're looking for as, you know, did you did you follow um the organization of the paper, meaning did we have a thesis? Did we have three supporting details? And did we have a conclusion? With the rubric, it takes the subjectiveness, or at least some of it, not all of it, obviously, because there's still opinion in there. It takes some of that out. The guesswork, so to speak, is taken out of it. Then you have what I call um, grading the non-traditional coursework. And these are the things like the projects, your experiential experiences, job shadowing, working at a horse barn, following around, you know, Um, a veterinarian, getting to work in a research lab. I just was talking to a mom not too long ago, and her son was invited to work on a college campus in a biology lab doing real research. She's like, can I count that? I'm like, I said, first of all, I said, wait a minute. Do you think you can count that? And she's like, well, yeah. I'm like, then you can count that. Um, And so then it's like, how do you grade that? 
Um, and so I came up with this list, which I give to, give to my kids. They know, okay, so an A is going to be things like exceptional, excellent, extraordinary, superior. Those are the adjectives that would describe an A work. And also not just the physical work that they're doing, the you know paperwork or a project that you're physically seeing, but their attitude and their work ethic as well. Because mm. you can have a student who's maybe got some learning challenges and they give it their flat out all. Mm. And maybe they're using voice to text or they're using audiobooks, and moms are like, how do I grade that? Wait a minute, look at the child and let's look at the adjectives that describe not only that work for that child, but their attitude and the work ethic that went into that physical work. Mm. And then I go on from there, like a B would be commendable and praiseworthy and above average, incredible, and, and of course, then the C and then and beyond that. But in that way, again, there's a, a, it, it normalizes the grade for my kids. It says, here's kind of the, the guideline, here's the measuring stick, and this is what's going to be expected outside of that. So they kind of know when we have to assign grades, this is how mom did it. Well, that's great because it gives them, like you said, a, a very firm you know, just a little more of a firm grip on what's expected of them. And so they feel like they can meet the standard and that they've met a standard. I mean, to me, that's key right there. When they get that diploma, I wanted them to feel that they had earned it. Like they worked for that. And it wasn't, you know, me, it was them. Yes. Yes. Because again, we're wanting them to own it. And if they go to a college who is going to, which is going to require a personal interview, which some colleges are moving to that, and they ask them about grades, I want my kids to be able to answer that question mm-hmm. um, and not not be like, I have no idea how my mom graded my papers. That'll make the transcript look real valid, won't it? Mm. Um, and, and I had one of your, I, I was following you, you asked your, your listeners to post some questions about what they wanted us to talk about um, during this podcast. And one of those questions had to do with pass-fail. I am not a proponent of that, and here's why. Um, it, gives, it gives colleges absolutely no understanding of who the child is, what kind of work they do. Um, it's just a pass-fail. You either passed it or you failed it. That doesn't really tell me a whole lot about your aptitude or the depth of knowledge that you gained in that field. I actually had a mom this weekend say, oh, goodness, my daughter decided she wanted to go to college. It's been a while. And I gave her all pass-fail grades on my transcript, and I don't know what to do. Mm. And so then we had to backtrack a little bit and say, okay, what are, you know, where is she going? What are they requiring? And so, you know, it just muddies the water a little bit. Like mm-hmm. most, most high schools don't give pass-fail. Um, right, right. And a college wants, like you said, a clear picture right. of who this, they don't know your child from Adam. And this right. is their way of getting to know their right. background, what it is, their knowledge, their, um, you know, just their scope of study and that kind of thing. And a pass or fail won't give them that. Right. And it also, it's, it, some colleges, I will say for the most part, colleges love homeschoolers. They know what they're getting for the most part. Um, but it does make them a little skeptical when they see a transcript with all pass-fail grades on it. It's like, what did you do? Again, they don't really have an understanding of the scope and the depth of what was offered at home. Right. Um, the other component, so you got your credits and then you've got your grades, is the titles. Um, now, in some states, homeschoolers are bound to whatever the DOE, the Department of Education, 
requires them to title their courses. In our state, that's not true. As a home education student, we can title our courses whatever we want, and we're not bound to only using the DOE titles. Um, and I usually tell people when you're coming up with a title, you want to think about with integrity and accuracy. I'm not saying you should lie. Um, what is it that this course comprised and who is the student? In other words, PE or physical education is okay, in my opinion, for the elementary and middle school years, but I don't recommend in using it on the high school years. You know, what is it? personal fitness? Again, it, it it requires some amount of ownership to the fitness. It's my personal fitness. It's not just PE. I ran. Out, I went out and I ran every day, or I went down to the Y and I worked out every day. Um, if you do go down to the to the Y and you're working out, maybe what are you doing? Are you doing aerobics? Are you doing weightlifting? Be specific. The more specific you can be in the course titles with accuracy and integrity the better picture, remember the transcript is a snapshot of your student, the better picture that college is going to get of that student and what they did in physical education. Right. So the course title is important. It really does tell, again, it tells the college a lot about the scope and depth of your students learning. Um, like introduction to veterinary medicine, like who has that on a transcript? Well, I know a high schooler who does actually a homeschool right, high school. Right. Yeah. And, so I, oh, go ahead. Oh, I no. just have a quick question. You're talking about these titles, and I, I know that you and I had this discussion, and you were super helpful. We have um, a couple of kids, well, two of our high schoolers are working um, quite a bit during the during the week, and again, it's hands-on. They're learning all kinds of skills, but how we put those into categories or names of um, for electives, or you really helped me out a lot in in figuring out what could we call this? You know, what skills are you learning and what are we calling this? And so do you have a resource or a way to kind of look at what that would, things we could look over and, and try to hone in on? Sure. Um, well, actually in my, in my book, Celebrate High School, I do have pages of, like I, I put all those social sciences together and then every title that I could think of um, with my, I mean, my husband's a middle school teacher. So speaking educational ease for us is kind of, we just, we like it. We, mm -hmm. It's real kind of strange, but we do love, we love education. We're passionate about families. It's really good to make sure. Well, I'll make sure. Can I, I'll just uh, put a link or a way for them to click on and look at that book. How would I do okay. that? Is that at your website? It is at my website. Yes. And it's also available on Amazon. And I will give you some links too when we're done. I've got, um, I have three, a series of three elective um, blog posts and they have some titles in them as well. Okay, great. So that would be another, there are some ways um, in my blog posts um, that I do list titles for electives. I also do that for a blog post that I had on work experience and community service and volunteer hours. I usually try to give families some heads up about here's some titles that might be helpful to you outside of that, because I, 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 you know, I'm only one resource when I am looking, in fact, earlier today, I was writing an article for an upcoming magazine um, that I'm writing a column for, and I needed a title for something. And I was like, well, okay, I, yeah, this is the typical title, but that doesn't quite match what I was trying to go for. So I just Googled high school philosophy courses um, you'd be surprised what you come up with when you just Google high school philosophy courses or high school, high school ethics courses. Or I think in the last podcast, we talked about the time in our 
in our um, third high schoolers high school years that my grandmother was really sick and all of the things that we learned during that season, that five months, there was not a high school course in care, care for senior citizens, care for the elderly. And so I just started Googling, you know, high school courses for the elderly, high school courses for senior care. I could come up with nothing across the United States. There was not anything. But when I, then I started Googling college courses for geriatric care. And I came up with this title that was Care and Concerns for the Elderly. And that's what I ended up calling her course because as I looked at the course description, I said, this is exactly what we, and again, that's the beauty of one, having the freedom. There is no ceiling to learning. This, this world of, of that's just open to our kids to learn. And then, like I said, it's my job to figure out for my kids how to document that and what to call it. Mm. Sometimes I'll ask them, I'll say, well, what do you think a good title for this would be? Because they actually have some really good ideas. Right. And they know what they studied. A lot of times I, I know a lot of what they've studied, but there might be some part of it that I don't know, or maybe a language in the field that they're studying that I don't know the, those buzzwords, those words that are field specific right. that I can use in those course titles. So sometimes our kids can help us a whole lot in that area. That makes a, that makes a lot of sense. I love that. Those are great ideas. So the other thing, there's a couple more things that I found need to be on the transcript. And this, <laughs> um, first of all, the graduation date. They want a graduation date. So just somewhere up in what I call the bio box, I just put anticipated graduation date. Now, if the child's graduated, I changed that to graduation date instead of anticipated because obviously they've graduated. Right. Um, and, and don't forget to go back up there and change that. I did that one time, graduated a kid and forgot to take off anticipated. <laughs> so and you want to do that. And you also want to make sure that you go back and fix the date if you've adjusted it. Because, you know, we're homeschoolers. So we might be graduating on May 20th and we might graduate on June 6th. Mm-hmm. Just make sure you always go back and fix that date because that's important to the colleges. The other thing that I found out is super um, important is a signature. That transcript will not be valid without a signature. In essence, what you're saying is, I've validated and overseen the academic work that's comprised on this piece of paper. And so when you sign it, you're saying, I verify it's true and accurate the best of my ability. Hmm. Um, And so that signature, like I said, validates it. And I don't put a seal on my, my transcript. I know that in, you know, 20 years ago, they were recommending that. I've never had a college come back to me or, you know, the hundreds of other families I've worked to worked with and said, I want a seal of some kind. They don't. They realize we're homeschoolers. We're not going to have a stamp, a school stamp or a seal um, to put over our name. And then the other thing is once you put that in your envelope and it has to, when you're sending this stuff to a college, um, often it's going to go digital now because we're, you know, of the technology that we have. But on the off chance that you have to, let's say your student comes home and says, hey, mom, you know, it's spring break. Um, hey, mom, I need my final transcript to be sent in to the college before June 6th. And so you work from March to June to finalize that transcript. And June 6th um, rolls around. In fact, actually, it rolled around a little quicker than you thought. And it might be 12 hours before the deadline and you're like, quick, run this up to the university if it's something that's close in town. And I did this. This is how I know. You know, you learn from your mistakes. And so I'm hoping that parents will learn from my mistakes. So I handed it to my son. This was my second son even. It wasn't even my first graduate. Um, And I said, oh my goodness, you got to take this up to the financial aid office. Here's the transcript. I literally printed it off, signed it, handed it to him and sent him out the door. 
I get a text about 45 minutes later. It says, mom, they're not going to accept your transcript. I'm like, what? What? They're not going to accept my transcript? Nobody else has ever rejected my transcript. He's like, mom, it's got to be in a sealed envelope. I'm like, I totally forgot about the sealed envelope. You know, as homeschoolers, we don't, that doesn't come across our register because we just don't think about the sealed envelope. Right. Not only did they want the sealed envelope, but they wanted my signature across the seal. (sighs) Just make sure that, you know, in, when you're doing that, if the last minute you've got to run an actual hard copy somewhere, it's in a sealed envelope and just sign the seal. That way, if that college wants a, a, a signature over the licked envelope, they will have it. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it funny? I, we're just, our mindset is so, um, so different than yes. all those hoops. But then at the same time, you know, they cro- we cross over and we have to, there's certain hoops we have to jump through if mm-hmm. we want to, our kids to, our kids want to go a certain direction. And that can be frustrating and it can be um, a little uh, disconcerting, I think, because I, I don't know, mm-hmm. as a homeschooler, I'm so love the fact that we've been independent and just, you know, been able to kind of do our thing. And, and then, yeah, you get into the high school years and um, you have to just kind of start thinking about some of those things. So I love um, all these things that you're sharing and just kind of give us a, give us a heads up. Now, people are probably wondering, you know, I, I've graduated five and have three at home and they're wondering, why don't you know all this stuff, Dorinda? Well, here's why. Because <laughs> our kids were involved in a parent partnership program. And so we did pretty much all of our homeschooling at home, all of our classes at home, even in high school. Some of the high schoolers took a couple of classes um, here and there, but for the most part, the bulk of our schooling was at home. And I worked with a consultant, and that consultant mm-hmm. for the school handled all the transcripts. You know, I would give the grades to her. We would talk about what that looked like, and she would do all that hard mm-hmm. part. And so mm-hmm. I'm finding myself, you know, kind of going, "Ooh, okay, we moved to a different state. We're not in that parent partnership program anymore, and I've got to, you know, navigate this." And so. It's really great to to have all this information and these helpful tips because you know uh, it, it can be nerve wracking. <laughs> you know what? We're going to make mistakes. Like it's you know it's like life. We're going to make mistakes. We are right. none of us are foolproof. Um, we just are going to make mistakes, and we have to say, okay, I made a mistake. What can I do to fix it and move you know back in the right direction? And that's what we're modeling for our kids. It's emotional intelligence, which, like I said is one of those things that we're, we need to teach our kids. Like they're going to need that as they move out into the world. Exactly. And it's a great chance to model that for them. Absolutely. Because you know, they're really going to be absorbing and seeing more of it um, because they're, you know, developmentally, they can take in more. Right. They're going to notice all of that. And so, yeah, it's just an interesting, um, it's an interesting dynamic. And we had more questions. Um, did you have some specific yep. ones you wanted to address? Well, I was going to, I did, I actually was going to move on to format because people ask all the time, does it have to be in a specific format? And as one of your uh, Facebook friends had asked, do do colleges want that by subject or do they want that in chronological year? When I, back 20 years ago, every homeschool mom I talked to said, oh, by subject, put all the English together, put all math together, which I did. When I went for my son to start applying to colleges, nobody, they were like, no, ma'am, that's not how we take transcripts. Now, yes, I understand that we are homeschoolers and I understand we have the freedom to format it however we want. But at that point, I said, you know what? I don't want them to throw the transcript in the garbage because they don't want to look at it that way. 
right. I will change it. <laughs> and so I, I have actually never met a college that really wanted it by subject. Now, does that mean that people haven't turned it in by subject? Sure, they have. But I've just found that colleges really do prefer the chronological year. Um, okay. You know, what did you take in 10th grade? What did you take in 11th? It's just what they're used to. Mm-hmm. And, and when you don't have to follow up and explain to them and they don't have to do any guesswork, it just makes their job a whole lot easier. And then people are like, well, but then how do you do that? What if you did American literature for four years? Well, I, wherever it, they did the bulk of it, that's where I put it. <laughs> it's not like I'm not going to, I'm not going to put it in all four years because then I'm going to look like an idiot. Like you gave American literature credit all four years. How does right. that work? No, because the bulk, what they learned is still probably the same volume that they would have learned in one year. So right. I put it where they learned, they earned the bulk of it. Um, the other thing that I found is if you have a student, let's say they're doing British literature and they did do that all four years, but in the senior year, they really dove into Shakespearean literature. Okay, give them a British literature credit in junior in the junior year and you can give them Shakespearean literature in the senior year. You know, if, they're def- if, it, if it comes to a point where it defines, they need defining, you can define that because you're a homeschool mom. Right, right. I think there was another question, Drenda. I, I know you had a... a um, they, one listener asked about the CLEP. Now, the CLEP is interesting because we're talking about transcripts and, and, and course titles and all of that and credits. Um, the CLEP is a way that students can be tested on college-level material, their knowledge of college-level material in a specific subject area. And so some colleges will take CLEP. Um, scores and others will not. So that's another thing. Anytime you're talking about CLEP or AP or Dante's, you want to make sure that if you have, if you know there's the college of interest, do some research and find out if that college will even take them. Because if they don't take them or if they only take a certain amount of credits as an AP or as a CLEP, you want to know that too, because you don't want to walk in there with 12 CLEP credits of math, and they're only going to give you credit for six. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't want to waste your money in that way. But yes, many of them do, but there are some out there who who are, don't. So you want to be aware of that. The other thing is, as a general rule, and, a, and colleges have the ability to decide how they're going to grant credit. So this, again, although this is a general rule, colleges have the last say. If this child scores a 50 or more on that CLEP exam, generally they get one credit. Now, there are some CLEP exams that are worth six or eight credits. And again, the college will have the last say as far as what credits they're going to actually take. But you as a mom, if, if your student scores 50 or more, can give them one credit in that CLEP, for that CLEP test. Now, parents say, well, how do you title that? I personally title it exactly what that CLEP exam is called. And I would put the title of the CLEP exam, and then I might put a hyphen with the capital letter C-L-E-P to denote that it was CLEP, or the title of the test, put my grade and my credit, and then flag after the grade, I'd put a little asterisk or I'd put a little uh, superscript of C-L-E-P, and then note that in my grading section of my transcript, that that's what that notes. So they know, oh, that's CLEP. That's CLEP credit. Right. Okay, that makes sense. Um, the other question I think that one of your um, listeners asked was about community service hours. Are they required? Again, that there's two things that you need to look at. One is your state. Um, specific 
basically your merit scholarship in your state. In my state, the community service hours are required for the state scholar, merit scholarship. In other words, they have the students have to get a certain SAT or ACT score, and they have to do a certain number of community service hours in order to get that merit scholarship, which would be good at any state university in our state. So you want to look at that, but you also want to look at the colleges because every asked for community service hours. What did your student do besides all the books? What did they do in their free time? They give back to the community. They're all interested in that. And in every situation, like I said, except for maybe one, actually one state college, we had to list that on the college application. So you want to keep track of that. Um, and if your state scholarship requires it, you might need to get that documentation on letterhead from the organization that you've served the hours. So I always try to back up and do that as well so that I've got that in case I need that. Um, if should our kids apply for that scholarship. Colleges, and sometimes this is not on their website. So this is a question if you want to ask them, is does your college give scholarship money for um, teachers teens who have except not excessive but lots and lots of community service hours there's no such thing as excessive but for those who have really served um, you know extraordinarily and I, I'm thinking about a young lady that I know that served 3,000 community service hours during her high school year because they helped her write her resume and her transcript and I was Wow, 3,000 hours. That's amazing. It's amazing. And she was a very well-rounded young lady, but she ended up with a $25,000 scholarship. Mm. So that was a particular scholarship that that college awarded for community service. And she had to apply and she, you know, there was an interview process and all that kind of thing. So are they required? Again, as homeschoolers, we make that choice. But there are some things you want to check on, your state merit scholarship for sure, and also the college. And, and like I said, and the applications generally ask for that for sure. Right, right. That makes sense. Did you have any other questions or anything uh, else? Yeah, actually, I, this is actually kind of a personal question because um, we have, I, I've told you about our son, Sam. Just He is just an entrepreneur, definitely mm-hmm has no interest in college. And I, I, again, I know you, you said it doesn't hurt to have them. It's good to have them prepared anyway. I just see him so going a different direction. And he's, his desire is to actually start a business soon. And, you know, I want to get him some business, uh, business math probably next year. He's finishing up algebra two this year. Um, But my question is, you know, how how do you handle that with the transcript? He he's mm-hmm. so wanting to just live, just move forward, like mm-hmm. get moving forward and start a business and all of that. Mm-hmm. And what is that going to look like next year's his senior year? So, any mm-hmm. thoughts on that? Well, um, we have a couple entrepreneurs actually. Um, the first entrepreneur that we had. Um, he's more actually business administration and ended up actually going to college for business administration, financial, and he's a now an analyst. Um, he, I allowed him his senior year after I realized I was, I was killing this kid with check marks and, and boxes. Mm-hmm. I said, what, what would you like to study? And he went to the library, Drenda, and started reading amazing business books. Anything from any guru out there he could get his hands on. Whether or not he agreed with business, their business principles or not, he still was trying to build his knowledge bank of business. Right. 
Right. That's, that's fantastic. I was just thinking, um, I'm linking this to our son, Luke, who's 19 and Mm -hmm. he's in boot camp for a, it's online boot camp for an apprenticeship program, which by the way, this is, this is for Praxis. And I've, I've, I've told our listeners about this before. And uh, the owner, uh, the founder and CEO is actually going to be on our podcast the week uh, after you. So I'm excited about that to hear more uh, in detail. He is a homeschool. He was a homeschooler as well. So that's going to be, that's going to be really fun. But he, uh, Luke is doing this, this online boot camp, and he is, uh, one of the modules was philosophy. And yeah. so they talked a lot about, you know, and what they're wanting to do is to hone in on, you know, what is your personal philosophy towards business mm-hmm. and not, not telling them what to think, but letting them look at all of these different philosophies, just like your son was doing by reading all these books. And so there's, you know, there's more than one way to do this. And your son, you know, just did this on his own, which I think is fantastic, but that's something that's incorporated into this boot camp. So I think it's fascinating that, you know, your son just had that instinct to go and read a bunch of different things and really just build his knowledge of, of anything to do with business. So I love that. Sam, like then we had another, we actually, our third one actually did have a, her own business. She started it when she was 13 um, and has just kind of left it go now because she's got other things that are going on internship and all those kinds of things. But you know, what is Sam? I, again, Drenda, I look and I would say, okay, what is Sam learning? And I'd start making those bullet points and I'd say, wow, he's learned this. He filed for state tax he wants to go hang out with, you know, XYZ business owner. He wants to go have coffee with another business owner from church. You know, all of those and compile all that stuff and then say, what can I call this? Like look for business mm-hmm. courses in high school so that he can still do what he's doing and you can find a way. Again, you can find a way to denote that on his transcript in case for some reason he does change his mind and he does decide he wants to go to school. Um and then those things look like business and entrepreneurial principles, uh, marketing strategies, data collection, um, you know, for uh, graphic and design, if he's interested in that part of the business. I mean, there's so many different aspects of business that if you just start making those bullet points, you can say, wow, I didn't even see all this group over here. You've really delved into this a lot. Let's figure out what we can call this. Right. Post them on the transcript. I love that. I love that because what I'm what I'm hearing from you is actually more freedom to really pursue what he's feeling passionate about. And mm-hmm. I love that because you know, this is the time when, you know, the tendency would be to get super nervous because he's going to be a senior next year. And do I drive him to make him do all these other things? Or how can we navigate this so that he has the opportunity to experiment and you know try some things out and um, and go ahead and start pursuing some of the things he's interested in that way. So I love this. Again, though, I always try to say, okay, if we've got the English right, because you, mm-hmm. your kids have to be able to read and write. And there's a lot of business documents he could learn how to write. Um, you know what? What kind of business documents would he have to write if he was an entrepreneur? Let's look into those. Can he write write a resume? That could be part of his writing for the year. So you're going to look at them. You know, I'm not trying to say our kids don't do anything because they do. Like you want to cover those bases because they have to be able to read and write 
for the world, you know? Right, exactly. No, that makes perfect sense. It's the basis for all subjects. And then, you know, yeah, there's, there's going to be some science and some math, but there's so many other hours, so many more hours in the day that if our kids, what I found is if our kids are, you're pursuing or they're pursuing those passions and they're motivated, the TV, social media, that's not going to be a deal for them because they have too many of their big things they want to do. And they figure out, I can contribute this to maybe this nonprofit down the street, which is a whole nother area of business that he could be interested in. Um, mm-hmm. Really, the sky is the limit to what that might take him. And you and I can talk about that more on, a, you know, on another time if you yeah. want to more than willing to sit with you and do that. I love that. I love that. I just, I appreciate you uh, being on the podcast today and giving us just a boatload of information. I have a feeling moms, uh, probably including myself, are going to go back through and listen to this again (laughs) and take more notes. So um, I just appreciate you taking the time and sharing this knowledge that you have and um, experience. And um, it's a huge blessing. So thank you for being here today. You are so welcome. And I'd I'd, love to be back if that's going to be a blessing to to your listeners. I just, I love imparting just, you know, freedom and right. moms, like this is not the worst thing that we can do is start comparing ourselves because comparison will kill contentment. And when we act out of fear, we don't have faith. And the same thing is true of our children. Exactly. And then sometimes we need someone to help us find uh, more precise tools for exactly what we're, you know, I think that's kind of what we're saying here in high school is we kind of have to, um, find those little more precise, little more detail. We're kind of finishing the project, you know, so the details are, it's like building a house it's at the end when you put in all the, the trim and, you know, all these different details at the end. And I think that's kind of what we're doing with the, with the high schoolers, you know, but um, it's a great analogy. Yes, it is. And, but I love the fact that there's also a freedom in it because we're homeschooling. It's, um, but it's just navigating that and feeling like we've, uh, we're, we've benefited our high schoolers and not done something to, you know, keep them from moving forward. But I also love the freedom that you mentioned and just, you know, we make mistakes and we navigate those mistakes and we um, go back and figure out how, how we can fix it, make it right or whatever. And, you know, in all of this, God is with us. He's walking with us. Mm -hmm. And I just, I'm always uh, and forever leaning on James one when he, when Mm -hmm. he says, you know, if any of you lacks wisdom, um, ask of God who gives generously without finding fault and it will be given to him. But we need to believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. And mm-hmm. I don't want to be one of those that's no. blown and tossed by the wind. And so really all that saying is trust God. Know that if you ask for wisdom, he's going to bring it. He might not bring it the minute you ask, but you just keep watching and keep praying and um, he will put opportunities and mm-hmm. uh, give you wisdom and tools along the way yes. that'll get you through this. He's not asking us to homeschool and then leaving us there. You know, he's going to equip us along the way. And mm-hmm. uh, and that's what I love. And, and this podcast is part of that. So Thank you for being here. And I think we're just going to go ahead and pray over the moms because I, I'm sure, uh, I know I could use it. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we just thank you for all of these um, moms who are listening right now, who maybe they're listening um, in anticipation of high school, or maybe they're in the middle of high school and thinking, I, I don't know if I'm really doing this right, Father, but I just thank you so much for uh 
for Cheryl. I thank you for her vast knowledge and willingness to share with all of us, Lord. I thank you that there are so many different ways we can do this, but some of these key elements are mm-hmm. um, give us a great framework to work from. And I just thank you for that. Thank you for your provision. Thank mm-hmm. you for these these kids that we get to homeschool. What a blessing that we get to disciple them and walk alongside of them as they grow into adulthood, Lord. It's It truly is an age of opportunity. And we just thank you for giving that to us and help us to um, navigate it well, trusting in you with all of our heart, God, not leaning on our own understanding, but in all of our ways, acknowledging you and you will direct our path. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.